Good morning. This week, our reading from the Gospel of Mark comes from chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Once, when, Jesus, when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. The word of God for the people of God. So Alan Alda is probably a name you have to be of a certain age to know. Anybody want to raise their hands? They know Alan, all right? And I... He's been in all sorts of things. The thing I know him from is MASH. Is that what? Okay. All right. So for you young people, you probably know who Alan Alda is. He really has had a ton of roles. Um, you also probably weren't old enough to have any idea what MASH is. So you can Google him later if you're interested. That's really not the point. Uh, the point is, so Alan Alda of MASH wrote a memoir a couple of years ago <laughs> with this title. Never have your dog stuffed and other things I've learned. That's a weird title, right? Never have your dog stuffed in everything, other things I've learned. Who has to learn that? Shouldn't that be self-evident, right? Except for there's a story behind it. That was a lesson that Alan Alda had to learn. When he was eight years old and the family dog died, Alan says he was sobbing so hard as they were about to bury him that his dad was like, well, we could just keep him around. So they sent him to a taxidermist. You all have seen like the, the moose heads on the wall, right? Think about Sparky sitting on the front porch, which is exactly how it went down for Alan Alda. The dog came back with a weird expression on his face. It was frankly horrifying. People wouldn't deliver packages to their house. And here's what he says. Here, here's the line in, 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 at, in actually in an interview about his book. He says... Now, I know it's kind of a weird image, but he says there's a lot of ways we stuff the dog trying to avoid change. Hanging on to a moment that has passed, right? The years with the dog were good, but they'd come to an end, and just trying to hold on to the shell of that was not good, right? Uh, today's scripture passage in some ways pushes us in those same ways and, and in the same direction. And Jesus, you know, for us, don't stuff the dog is self-evident. Maybe wineskins and clothing patches feel a little less accessible. We're going to talk about that. But it's also truths that ought to be self-evident. And yet somehow for Jesus's listeners aren't. It's like those disclaimers on products. Um, there was one that I read just the other day, not to use hair dye as an as a ice cream topping. That ought to be clear, right? But you know that it's on the box because somebody did it. 
And so Jesus uh, sort of makes the point that what ought to be self-evident, frankly, isn't always for us. And so we need to be aware of that and let Jesus challenge and stretch us in ways that let's explore together today. So let's go ahead and jump into our scripture passage. If you do have your Bible with you, again, as you've already heard it read once, we're in Mark 2. Feel free to flip over to that in verse 18. It always helps, I think, to actually look at the words as we're studying them together. And the presenting issue for this um, things that ought to be clear but aren't is a matter of fasting. Now, if you'll, um, if fasting is not a spiritual tradition that we typically do a lot as Baptists. There are Christian traditions that make fasting a regular part of the ways in which they worship. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with fasting itself. Uh, the conflict came because Jesus' disciples didn't fast, and the Pharisees and John's disciples did. Only one day of fasting was required in the law. The Day of Atonement, one day a year, the Jewish people were to fast, and more than likely, people agreed Jesus and his disciples did that. But then you could do extra credit homework, right? This is what the, and that sounds pejorative, I don't mean that, but the Pharisees decided to take it upon themselves to fast twice a week. So on, not that the days matter exactly, but I'm pretty sure it was Monday and Thursday of every week, the Pharisees abstained for a period of time from eating food, right? John the Baptist's disciples did the same. Jesus's people didn't do this. Now we know, so rather let me draw attention to the fact that this story is just sort of um, given the taxidermy example, this may be one more nail in the coffin. I really don't mean that as a, no pun intended. However, this is part of an escalating conflict, if you will, between the rules of the Pharisees and the rulelessness, as they perceive it, of Jesus. But today's, today's story is even bigger than that because it isn't just the Pharisees. It's the disciples of John. John's a good guy. He's supposed to be on our side, right? And, and Jesus and John's disciples, forget the Pharisees, are doing two completely different things. So what's up, Jesus, the people are saying? Like, which one of these is, quote-unquote, right? Now, it might be worth noting uh, that the Pharisees and John's disciples fasted for different reasons. The Pharisees, and there were, I don't, it's perhaps overly simplistic to say that the Pharisees only fasted as a matter of self-discipline and rigor, right? But, but there was a lot of emphasis on that, right? Denial, and uh, meaning self-denial, and uh, disciplining yourself to rely only on God. John's disciples were very focused on repentance. This was John's message, right? Repent and prepare yourself because the judgment of the Lord is coming. And so theirs was almost a grief over sin. Again, regardless, this practice was the way they communicated their dedication to God. And so there was just frankly reasonable confusion among the people. Again, which one of these things is right? 
Jesus answers with an example that ought to be self-evident. He says, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. Uh, Wedding customs back then weren't wildly different from ours in that it was a celebration and you ate a lot of food, right? It was a happy time for them. It was seven days long. Uh, There were uh, brides, brides, or excuse me, groomsmen and bridesmaids, sort of people who participated in the celebration. And it just didn't make sense to be fasting and mourning and expressing your sorrow in the middle of a wedding. It's a little bit like, I was thinking to myself what modern day customs might be. It's a little bit like wearing white when you're not the bride, except for worse. Maybe more like wearing a, um, a black shroud when you're the mother of the groom. Right? You're sending a message. It's just... It's not only not done, it's inappropriate. It's not right for the time in a way that isn't just trivial but significant, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. To be fasting while part of a wedding ceremony isn't just wearing white when you're not the bride. It's, it's wearing all black in a funeral shroud. It really does matter what you do And when you do it. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom. And there will come a time, incidentally, when fasting is appropriate. But that time isn't now. I want to put a pin in that for just a second and camp out here briefly. Because I think it's one of the things that Mark intended in this story. And I guess I should have also given you this disclaimer that I have always been a little confused by this scripture passage um, and just what exactly it is Jesus wants us to take away from this. And reminding ourselves that Mark includes, we assume, because his, his, his narration is so spare, everything he includes is done very intentionally. And so... Why does Mark, again, include this story, particularly about a wedding party? I think, first of all, Mark is trying to re-emphasize that the coming of Jesus is good news. If you were with us last week, um, we talked about, well, we talked about Jesus being for us, no matter who we were. You know, if if all you ever heard from was John... Now, John was preaching the truth, right? John's one of the good guys. But if all you ever heard was about the coming judgment of God, would you think it was good news necessarily that Jesus has come around? Not necessarily, right? And so Jesus is emphasizing, yes, there is a time for fasting and repentance, but I want you to know that this good news is, wait for it, good news. And so again, back to things being appropriate for the time. Though John's disciples aren't wrong. Jesus goes on to say, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. He's forecasting already. They have no idea what he's talking about, but he's forecasting the fact that he's not going to be around. He will be crucified and will rise again and be ascended into heaven. He says, um, and on that day... They will fast. 
And then here's where Jesus gives us these two examples that, that maybe for us feel a little inaccessible. Uh, the mending clothes, which who does that anymore, right? That's what Walmart's for. And the making of wine, which we're Baptist, and we know that part of the Bible must be wrong, right? That was a joke. Work with me, people, okay? But I'm assuming most of us don't wake, make wine or fix clothes a whole lot. So what do these ought to be self-evident, but aren't, illustrations exactly mean. Well, uh, for those who lived before pre-shrunk cotton, anybody know things about this, right? Like, if you threw your clothes in the wash and you didn't buy a size up, it didn't always end well for you. Anybody with me, right? And so imagine that you have a shirt that has been washed a bunch of times, which means it's shrunk down. You can even pull a same, the same piece of cloth But if it hasn't been through the laundry that many times, and you sew it on and then run it through the washer, guess what happens? Most of the shirt stays the same size. That patch shrinks. The same is true, or similarly true, with making wine. New wineskins, which were leather, animal hide, uh, could expand and contract. So when, and again, I'm sorry, Baptist, but it's in there. When the wine began to ferment it would expand, right? And so if the old wineskin, which had now hardened, if it, it's kind of like putting a soda in the freezer. It's going to explode, right? And so you need a new wineskin that has the ability to expand and contract as the wine ferments into alcohol. So the moral of the story is out with the old and with the new, Right? At least a few of you are shaking your heads. Is it strange that I have always felt bad for the old wineskins? Vivian says, yes, it is strange. This is why I have struggled with this passage. Is there some part of me, I guess, that feels old and just thinks, but what about old wineskins? Don't we need them too? Again, I think this is why it's important that Jesus gives us these layers of nuance. Because when we really look at this example, Jesus is giving us two opposite examples that say the same thing. But what are we trying to preserve in the first illustration? It's an old shirt, right? We want to keep the old shirt in the first illustration. It's only in the second illustration that we're focused on the new wine. Again, it's sort of back to this concept of there's a right and a wrong time for everything. It's almost an issue of discernment. In both instances, something good needs to be preserved, whether it's old or new. But there's a way to do it in which is fitting, or there's a way in which you just sort of like bring the whole house down, right? And in both of these illustrations, by not doing the thing that is fitting, everything's ruined. The new patch and the old shirt are ripped to shreds. The old wineskin and the new wine, it starts to crack. The wine leaks out. Everything is lost. And so the question is, what 
are we to do now, today? Which incidentally, every day is new, right? That what, what was right yesterday might not be right what's right today, and what's right tomorrow might not be what was right today or yesterday. So how do we know? And in this and in every story, we will see how do we know the answer is Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus has the right and the authority and the wisdom to help us know the things we ought to know, but don't. We don't always know what's the right thing to do. And so Jesus has to become the lens, the criteria, the tutor, the one who leads the way, because left to our own devices, we don't always get it right, do we? Now, before I let you off the hook too much, for those of you who um, feel a bit like an old wineskin, I will make this point, however. Jesus here and elsewhere does have a recurring preference for the new. The nature of Jesus' ministry is to do a new thing. Isaiah, see, I am doing something new here, which is the scripture that they reference back to at the beginning of Mark. In chapter 1, Jesus is referenced as a new teaching. Jesus will speak of a new covenant. One of my favorite scripture passages in all of the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has gone and the new has come. I don't know that, again, back to this illustration itself, it's not that the new is always better, but the new is what we often struggle with the most, right? You have these, these Pharisees who were so used to the way things had always been done that they forgot why they were doing the thing they were doing, right? And um, that's not how we do things around here is a line we like to use to make fun of other people who have a hard time changing, but it never applies to us, right? We all love to use that line just with reference to someone else. And so Jesus is pushing them in the direction they need to be pushed. New is not always better than old, but new is usually harder than old. And that's exactly what we see happening in this scripture passage. And so Jesus is pushing them to let God be and do and accomplish something new. This is a very, um, I don't know, sort of business world commercial illustration, but I feel like it says a lot. So I'm going to share it. It's about more things that young people don't know anything about. Uh, Blockbuster. Anybody ever heard of that, right? It's where you used to go and, like, rent actual DVDs. That was a thing. What's interesting is that Netflix, I didn't know this, Netflix approached Blockbuster before they struck out on their own and tried to broker a partnership. This was, speaking of old things, this was back when Netflix would send you an actual DVD, right? Like, they'd send it to you in the mail. And Blockbuster was so scornful of the idea that they just, like, laughed them out the door. Ten years later, Blockbuster was out of business. I mean, they just don't even exist anymore. 
And Netflix, not only, has, not only were they the quote-unquote new way to do DVD rental, but then they went to streaming, and now they're at the point of producing new content. Here's where I want to go with this. If you had asked Blockbuster, and this is just my imagination, but if you had asked them, what business are you in? You know that old line from Peter Drucker, what's business and how's business? I suppose they would have said they were in the DVD rental business, but were they? No, Netflix understood what they were, is they were, they were in the entertainment business. They were providers of entertainment. How one provided that, whether it is a brick-and-mortar store or a subscription service or ultimately, uh, excuse me, not ultimately, next a, uh, a streaming provider or ultimately the producer of entertainment... Netflix understood the function, the why, and not just the form. Blockbuster thought it was in the business of providing DVDs. Netflix knew it was in the business of providing entertainment. And so both of them could keep their eyes on the prize, quote-unquote, but only one of them survived. Back to Jesus. It isn't just out with the old. The old is worth preser- preserving. But, but the Pharisees in particular just didn't really understand what business they were in. Did they exist to follow the rules or did they exist to glorify God? And if your goal is to glorify God, then the methods and the patterns, frankly, should always change. The substance stays the same. The format doesn't matter. And if you reverse the two, well, you've so, so far missed the point that you might as well be fasting at a wedding celebration or wearing a bridal gown to a funeral. That's what happens when you get stuck on the form. You miss the purpose of the thing. And Jesus knows that as in human nature, frankly, we have a preference for form. We have a preference for what feels comfortable, whether or not it's actually right. We have a preference for the things that make us feel safe, even if they don't even make us feel good. So again, new isn't necessarily better than old. But Jesus is going to push our boundaries and maintain the old by calling us to something new. I'm trying to decide whether I want to share this illustration now or or give some examples of this. I hesitate. I guess you might say I want to tread lightly in giving examples of the new over the old because it's always a matter of discernment, right? And only Jesus is able to tell us when we ought to be preserving the old and when we ought to be preserving the new. But I do think, you know, some of the conversations we've had about worship and and the way in which we sing or have music can have some elements of preserving the old but maybe doing it in new ways. Um, Your youth ministry search team is, is working really hard right now at looking at ways to do ministry, youth ministry, in a quote-unquote new way, the irony is that it's actually in many ways returning to the old. 
But back to what's the substance, I'm trying to think of some other examples. Maybe y'all can think of some. Um, the fact that we live stream now because of COVID. I would not have done that if the Lord hadn't made me. Not going to lie. And new isn't always better. It does require discernment. But if you know the, the what, the why, the, the what's business, well, then your form can change. And you can be the kind of person who can risk Jesus pushing your buttons a little, right? Here's the last illustration that I want to end with. Um, and I wish that I had, I wish I had the title of this article because it was really funny. Something about Bambi and the Cold War. Um, and it's a story about, I know this is weird, but the, the migration patterns of reindeer on the border of the Czech Republic and Germany. Uh, you know, there used to be a, an actual fence that existed for I don't know how long, uh, back when there was East and West Germany. Um, and so for a long time, this physical barrier between the deer population obviously meant that the deer stayed completely separate. But then the fence went down and they were tracking the deer. The deer kept the same patterns. Those who were over in Germany would not put a foot over into the Czech Republic. Those who were in the Czech Republic wouldn't put a foot over into Germany. Here's what's particularly fascinating. At this point of the study, they were 18 years past any of the deers who'd been alive. 18 years past any of the deer who had been alive when that fence was there. And still, they refused to set foot over the boundary, despite the fact that ecologists had, like, sort of nurtured this Eden-like area so that the deer could go and enjoy themselves in between the two. This, this boundary, this form, had become such a blockage, not just, not just for the deer who lived it, but who then passed it somehow down, that none of them were able... I guess you'd say to find the good in the new. Uh, the wildlife filmmaker who wrote, wrote about this says, um, the wall in the head was still there. For deer who hadn't even lived when the fence existed. In the end, it may be that we need to let Jesus push us in toward the new. Not only is Jesus who pushes us into the new, Jesus is, is who helps us to decide whether or not it's the right thing to do. Jesus is the new compass, the new standard for deciding what and how needs to be preserved. And that might very well push us past our boundaries. And I mean that metaphorically. We aren't a bunch of reindeer. But the truth is, according to Jesus, and I happen to believe it's true, that's actually the only way to live. That life abundant, the life that God has called us to, the life that is marked by the good news. So let us trust in Jesus, allow him to tell us the things that ought to be self-evident but aren't. And to let ourselves be challenged, pushed to places that are new. 
because it's a wedding celebration after all, right? And God will lead us into places that are good. Let's go to God in prayer. God, thank you that you um, don't give up or abandon any of us, whether we are those new or old garments or those new or old wineskins. We know that you have a plan and a purpose for all of us um, and for all things. Both the old and the new are, are good to you, but there is a time for everything. And so, Lord, let us not get so focused on the form that we forget the function, we forget the why, we forget the life and the life abundant that you're calling us to. Stretch us and guide us in, in the directions you are calling us to, whatever those may be. And again, help us to seek first your kingdom, trusting your spirit and your guidance, your spirit and your, but following through when you've called us to something, um, something that is good and something that is new. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things.